Welcome to What's Cooking Palm Beach with Chef David Pantone, Dean of the Lincoln Culinary Institute in West Palm Beach, also known as the Food Dude. Chef Pantone has been serving up amazing meals and desserts at some of the finest hotels and restaurants in New York City, Miami, and Palm Beach for most of his life. Now let's head into the kitchen with What's Cooking Palm Beach, sponsored by Lincoln Culinary Institute, a division of Lincoln College of Technology. Yes, welcome to What's Cooking Palm Beach here on News Radio 1290 WJNO. I'm Joel Malkin, and we have Chef Pantone here, Dean of the Lincoln Culinary Institute, right in West Palm Beach, uh, 45th Street and I-95. Uh, you're doing well today, right? I'm doing fantastic today. One of my favorite subjects we're going to be talking today, lots of uh, food, right? All yeah. about food. So What's Cooking Palm Beach is the premier radio show all about food. All about South Florida food, food experiences, everything from soup to nuts. We're going to talk about food, cooking, eating, healthy eating, foods in the news, food events in the community, food trivia, superfoods, and lots of great food lessons, food tips, food techniques. It's all about food, education, and fun with food. Definitely sensing a trend. <laughs> That's all I got. I'm Mr. Food. I'm not Mr. Food. I'm well, the food not. dude. There's another guy. I'm the food dude. So in my world, food is everything. It's art. It's science. It's culture. It's entertainment. It's my passion. What you eat and what you drink has a direct effect on how you feel, how you act, how you sleep, and how you think. Yeah, you really are what you eat. Yeah, that's what they used to say when you were a kid. When you know, when I was a kid, they used to say, "You are what you eat." And then, of course, I would go and get some fast food, and uh, I, I never turned into the gremlin. Remember the gremlin and the hamburglar? Oh, 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 those no. oh, I got gotcha. you. Wasn't there a gremlin? Well, the gremlin's a different thing. What was the guy? It was like similar to gremlin. We've already. Isn't it funny how we've already forgotten because they don't use those characters anymore? <sighs> yeah, yeah. The big purple advertise. guy. Was he the big right, purple guy? Right, he was. Yeah, the purple. Like he looked like a big bump. He was a little scary, a little bit. He was at least to me. Said, Why would you want to use that? But mm. anyway, they, they don't use those characters anymore, and I believe a, a, a big reason for that is is because they, the, you know, they were basically told not to anymore because it kind of made fast food look you know hey yeah let's kind of like joe camel with the cigarettes that's right it's all marketing right? right it's get the public to believe what you want them to believe and they'll spend the money on whatever now when they advertise they've got like fresh uh, tomatoes on the screen and fresh sure, ground beef sure. and all that stuff i'm you know? loving it <laughs> there you go it makes you super duper healthy well, <laughs> no, maybe not really. Maybe but not. But you really. know what? In McDonald's defense, they do have some healthy options. It's a, you know, I believe that uh, you know it is the uh, the the public's uh, you know right to decide what they want to eat. But the fries are so darn good. Uh, yes, they are. I, <laughs> I agree with that. There's a whole story about the fries. If you ever want to do a little research of when they switched from bacon, or I'm sorry, not bacon. I have bacon on the brain today. But when they switched from frying them in beef lard right. to vegetable oil. And how they spray on beef, uh, beef extract on the fries at the end so they taste like they taste. There's a whole art and science wow. to those fries. Well, you know, and, and we could go on and on and on about fast food. But we, you know, we know ultimately anything that you prepare at home from scratch is going to be better for you and for your health and for your longevity of life than anything you're going to buy at a fast food place, or really any restaurant, let alone fast food. I'll go with you on that, like 99%. I don't want to damn everybody, but that's that's no, pretty good how you just said that. And you're right. The idea is that the consumer, the listener, has to know what's up so they can make their own choices. I'm all about the choice. So uh, just knowledge is power. The right. more you know, 
you get to make the choices. And here on uh, What's Cooking Palm Beach, uh, great show. I've had fun. This is our third show now, and uh, really feel like I'm, I'm, you know, getting into it. I love it. Uh, I'm loving it. Uh, having a good time. <laughs> really cool thing. One of the really cool things about this show is how you you put the show together. It is a show about food, and uh, you know, rather than putting together, you know, hey, we're going to talk about this, this, and this. You actually have a menu for the day. So I love that. So run us through today's yeah, menu. Whether you think it's cool or not, that's all I got. That's how my head works. <laughs> when I say I'm all about the food, I, I have to do that. I have to bold it, italics, and sense right. of justification like a menu. That's that's so, what you get. So what's on today's menu, Chef? Fantastic. We always have a super. Food of the day. We're going to be talking about that. We'll spin the big wheel in just a little bit. The main lesson of the day, because this is all about education, right, is going to be called Grilling 101. Everything you need to know about being the excellent backyard grill master. And um, specifically in that area, we're going to talk about burgers. Burgers are the number one item grilled in the backyard. So we're going to have a burger lesson. I have a couple of great questions that were emailed to uh, what's cooking at chefpantone.com. We're going to answer a couple of those. And this being the holiday season, there's some great events out there in the uh, Palm Beach County area. We're going to cover some of those. That'll be the dessert of the day. All right. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And you can always send your food questions and tips to what's cooking at chefpantone.com, P-A-N-T-O-N-E. Uh, what's cooking at chefpantone.com. Uh, it is uh, Chef David Pantone, and he is the dean over at uh, Lincoln Culinary Institute in West Palm Beach and uh, chefpantone.com to uh, find out all the information. And we're going to talk about a lot of recipes and whatnot. Some of them we'll have time to get through. The whole recipe or partial, and you can always find those recipes at chefpantone.com as well. Right. So so let's go ahead and hit the first course, and that's uh, superfoods. And for folks listening for the first time, or maybe they uh, just don't know what a superfood is, you're starting to hear this word more and more often. What does that mean? Good. Superfood, it's really a marketing term, right? It's not scientific, but uh, it's a list of uh, foods that are really good for you. So if you if you Google it, you'll find a couple of different superfood lists. And the one I choose to go with on this radio show is one. Here's how we determine if it's a superfood. First, it has to be nutrient dense, meaning calorie for calorie. You're getting the best vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and or phytonutrients, uh, essential fatty acids, fiber for the least amount of characters. Right? If you eat a Twinkie, there's a little goodness in a Twinkie. Really. A little, really little. But you last might week, have to... last week you used Skittles as an oh, example. Okay, see, I'm and, and I went on a fact finding mission. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't find anything. No, maybe the bag. If you eat the bag, it's got fiber. <laughs> okay, but... you know what? There is a little. There, there's a little bit of oil. A little bit of oil that they that they use. Well, and, I hope and oil it's not is oil benzene. is good. Well, no, but oil is good. Ultimately, you you need some oil in the body. Some, That's some, correct. Yeah. So there and you if go. If it's a good oil, it's better. If it's a bad oil, it might kill you. <laughs> but. So comparing a, uh, a um, Twinkie to a cup of spinach, a cup of spinach is going to have a thousand times more nutrients, so it's much more nutrient-dense, okay? That's the deal. Also, to make it on this list, I'm a little bit picky. I want it to be an ingredient you can find at your grocery store, right? Why should I tell you about an ingredient that you have to travel halfway around the world and maybe it's cost $1,000 for It's too rare. There, there are amazing foods like that. They're not going to be on my list for you. I want these to be items you can find at the grocery store. You can grab them and you can experiment with. Okay, so nutrient dense food. Nutrient dense food. So, all right, all right. That sounds that sounds good. Well, I mean, not really, because the Twinkie sounds better than a cup of spinach. Moderation. One Twinkie <laughs> and a cup of spinach. It's good to have the Twinkies back, though. Hey, they were gone for a little. I while, cried so. just a little bit. A little tear. <laughs> the nostalgia. Do you like a Twinkie now and again? 
now and again, every 20 or 30 years, everybody should have you one. You ever make a dessert with a Twinkie? Yeah, we you make, make homemade Twinkies oh. at the Cafe Protégé uh-huh. at the that's uh, over Lincoln, Lincoln Culinary, Culinary Institute. Yeah. That's our restaurant that's student-operated. The students said, hey, can we make Twinkies? I said, yes, but you can't use their old recipe. you got to come up with something new. So they made something that was not quite as Twinkie as a Twinkie because it had all real ingredients. It, sure. We don't have a, a laboratory at Lincoln Culinary to make fake food like that. Right. But they're pretty amazing, and the kids got a, a big kick out of it. What is the dessert that's made with ladyfingers? Uh, tiramisu. Tiramisu. And they use, like, wine with that, right? Or, or coffee. Yeah, espresso coffee, strong right, coffee. Right, okay. And um, you, I just was thinking mascarpone about Mascarpone cheese. Yeah, that's how my brain too goes to it. Kind of butterflies from one beautiful food to the next. Maybe we'll make that next time. How about oh, that? Well, we'll <laughs> <laughs> Superfood. I don't know. We're going to do a show about coffee. In okay. a couple of weeks. Okay. There you go. I'll make sure I'm extra sleepy we'll make, for that one so I can <laughs> we'll wake make, up. We'll make tiramisu as, a, as one of the recipes. All right. And, of course, we'll be doing something today as well. We'll be, uh, we're will be we grilling, so we'll be making something on the grill. Uh, we'll keep that a secret, I guess, until right before we do it. I like it. And uh, then we're going to be giving out samples. So we'll try to dig up some people around here that, uh, that want to <laughs> try what we're putting on the grill, which uh, I think we would find easier than last week. Uh, when we, although they seem to like that stuff. The Frika salad. Yes, the Frika salad. It was they freaking ate it. amazing. You left. We had some. We had some right out out in the kitchen, and uh, that stuff was gone within five minutes of you leaving, Chef. It was gone. All right, so we we spin the big wheel of superfoods and find out which one we're going to feature today. So, uh, you ready to spin the wheel? Right on. My arm's ready. All right. Let's have you had it. plenty of spinach? Let's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. drink. <laughs> Here we go. Come on. Basil. Basil. That's fantastic. You know, basil is our first herb that's a superfood. We had kale on the first week, which was ranked at 1,000. It's kind of the gold standard of superfoods on my list. We had acorn squash the second week, and its number is 444. And today we have basil. Basil's number is 518. That's pretty amazing. Twinkies like two. Maybe on a good day <laughs> if you eat the box. So this is a scale of one to what? One to a thousand. Okay, all right. So not bad. So not bad for an for basil. Herb. Yep, for an yep. herb. Okay. Now you're not going to eat a whole big bowl of basil, but you work it into your meals. You work it into uh, your dressings. You work it into your. We're going to work it into a um, a wet rub for a uh, skirt steak that we're going to make a little bit later. You just gave up the secret. Uh, yeah, but they didn't hear it and taste it or anything yet. Okay. It's time right. to give right. up the secret. And uh, the secret's going to be when they come, everybody comes knocking at the door and let, say, let us in. When they they'll, smell it, especially. They'll have to say the magic superfood password. So give me a little bit of background on basil. Right. So I think most people think of basil in Italian food. Mm. You have uh, fresh... Spaghetti sauces and chili. In, you can put it in chili as well, right? You can. That's not so much Italian, but that's... No. Uh, <laughs> well, you're going to make an Italian chili, put, I, put some pasta in it. I love it. I think most people <laughs> think of it in Italian food, but it goes much, much more than that, especially in Southeast Asian food, Indonesian food, food from Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Taiwan, Laos. Um, they use this thing all the time, and they don't always grind it up. Like in Italian, it's in pesto, which is means paste. So that's ground up basil and olive oil and usually pine nuts and maybe some um, Parmesan cheese. A lot of the places in the uh, in Southeast Asia eat them whole, as in leaves. And you'll make like a spring roll and you have some shrimp and rice paper and roll it up with a couple basil leaves in there. I got to tell you, when you bite into this, it's just so fresh and delightful uh, it's just the best way to eat the the basil. 
So at the school right now in our herb garden, we have a bunch of gardens. We have one, two, three, four different types of basil. We have the most uh, popular one, the big green one. We call it either sweet basil or sweet Genovieve uh, from uh, Genoa, Italy. And that's where it's uh, mostly in all the Italian foods. We have Thai basil. It's kind of spicy. We have a ruffle, purple ruffle basil at the school. Beautiful, beautiful flavor. And then we have uh, globe basil, these tiny little leaves, really strong. Each of them has a different flavor, and they blend mm. well with, um, with different herbs uh, or different dishes. So basil, and why it's a superfood for us today, vitamin A, beta-carotene, 33%. Eat a half a cup of basil or mix that into your whatever. 33% of all the vitamin A you need for a day right in that little green powerhouse. Now, I see I see a big number here, vitamin K, 395%. What exactly is That's vitamin crazy. K? That's crazy. That vitamin K is a fat-soluble vitamin. It is good for your eyesight. It's good for your blood. It's good for brain function. And I'm not that good at math, but 395%, that's, that's... And that's in how much basil? That's like in a half a cup of basil. So, wow. you so might I'm, not, I'm assuming you can't over, o- overdose. You can't OD on vitamin K, I hope. i got to look that up. <laughs> vitamin K toxicity? Yeah, I don't some, think so. Have some spaghetti sauce and, it's, and you're done, right? <laughs> you got to eat basil breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I think. And it's got some minerals inside, iron, magnesium, manganese, 55% of the manganese that you need. Some of these things, you don't need your one-a-day vitamin if you're really eating a balanced diet. And know what you're eating. Everything that you need is right in your diet there. All right. Uh, we're we're going to come back here, and uh, we're going to talk about all the different uh, uh, culinary uses, as you say, uh, of basil and talk about different foods and whatnot. Uh, before we do, though, uh, before we take our break, I want to just go back to last week because we have okay. an email uh, from a listener. Uh, this is Elizabeth from Palm Beach Gardens, and uh, she says, Love the show. Last week's show about acorn squash was awesome. I want to make acorn squash soup. What's the best way to peel one? She knows how to make the soup. She's got everything down. The peeling is the hard part. And i got to tell you, it's one of the most difficult root vegetables to peel. All of your winter squash have really hard shells on the outside. And the acorn squash is shaped with these deep ridges in it. So you can't peel it just like an apple. But here's what you do, Elizabeth. You cut off the top and cut off the bottom so that it's uh, got flat sides. Cut the whole thing in half, north to south, Okay. And and um, scoop out the seeds, just like any of the winter squashes. Now, this one you have to cut in between each of those big ridges, so you end up with wedges, right? You end up with wedges, and then you hand peel each of the wedges with either a really sharp knife or a really sharp vegetable peeler. It's... um. It's a little difficult, but I think you can do it, especially uh, I'm hearing that you have good skills because you don't even need my recipe. You just need to, <laughs> to, to how to peel it. That impresses me. Well, maybe she could get it off the uh, website as well, chefpantone.com. Fantastic. So. Um, wear a Band-Aid maybe. That will prevent you from getting cut. Or Really, the key is a really sharp knife, okay? The, having a really sharp knife avoids more accidents. When you have a dull knife, you have to push too hard you find yourself forcing something when you force it it slips and you cut your little fingers pretty bad Mm. so sharp knife really really big key there good question elizabeth all right we're going to come right back and uh, talk more about basil uh some of its health effects and uh how you can use it in different recipes and we'll do that with uh, chef david pantone from lincoln culinary institute right here on what's cooking palm beach 
Hey, it's Sally from the Mo and Sally Morning Show. Be sure to tune in Tuesday mornings for my recipe of the week brought to you by the Lincoln Culinary Institute, a division of Lincoln College of Technology. Here's Chef David Pantone, Dean of the Lincoln Culinary Institute, with your food tip. Hi, food friends. Chef Pantone here with your daily food tip. When the weather turns cold and the holidays approach, I know it's time for my favorite superfruit, cranberries. These little nutrient power plants are great sources of vitamin C, fiber, and vitamin E. Fresh, dried, or frozen whole cranberries have the holy trinity of health benefits. Antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer. Bing, bang, boom. Cranberries provide a knockout punch of nutrients. Don't forget to tune into my radio show, What's Cooking Palm Beach, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on News Radio 1290 WJNO. Sponsored by Lincoln Culinary Institute, a division of Lincoln College of Technology. For more information, visit my website, chefpantone.com. Welcome back to What's Cooking Palm Beach here with Chef Dave Pantone at the Lincoln Culinary Institute. He's the dean there. Uh, the, the students love you, right? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> All right. Respected but well-liked. Okay. That's good. Yeah, we all try right. to well, we try to create an environment that's mm-hmm. really all about food, all about passion, all about success, all about your careers. That's nothing to fight with, right? That's all right. good stuff. So we right. we have a place, and it's a pretty special place. I love it and, there. And Lincoln Culinary Institute, right at Forty uh, Fifth Street and uh, I ninety five. And you can always go to chefpantone dot com and find out more about the school. Find out more about Chef. You can find out all the uh, all the uh, recipes and ingredients that we talk about on this show, What's Cooking Palm Beach. Um, we were talking about our superfood of the week, and it is basil. And uh, we're going to get into some of the culinary uses, uh, but there are some health effects of basil. I wanted you to touch on that. Fantastic. Yeah, recently lots of research has been done on a lot of the, uh, the superfoods, especially basil. And often... What's the most amazing part of these superfoods is their essential oils. We talked about fats and oils a little bit ago. This mm. would be an amazing uh, essential oil that's in the basil. What they're finding out now is that it's an antioxidant, antiviral, and antimicrobial. It's got those properties. So it kills some things. It, it kills and deters um, bacteria and uh, viruses. And as an uh, as a um, as an antioxidant, it helps to purify your blood. It helps fight those free radicals. These are pretty amazing things. They're linking it to, they're trying to link it to, and I hope they link it to treating cancer. How cool is that? Mm. By what you eat, right? Wow. That's how it's supposed to be. Let the food be the medicine. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, before the break all the different uh, varieties of basil, and we'll just go over some of those again. You've got a cinnamon basil, a lemon basil, globe, African blue. Yeah, there's over 120. Purple ruffles. Purple. I you like, like purple. You just cool like ruffles. I've got some right at the school. It's pretty amazing. So people for many, many years have been uh, crossbreeding and making hybrids of these, and some taste really good, and maybe some don't taste really good. But there's uh, at least 120 that are available if you shop on the Internet and find them at your uh, local gardening stores. Now, let me ask you, is there, as we were talking about um, uh, a certain, uh, what what was the um, spice we were talking about last night that came in the little, what is that? Nutmeg. Nutmeg. And you were saying, you know, you should buy the actual nutmeg nut not the actual stuff. So when you talk about basil, if you go to the grocery store or whatnot, is there a certain basil you can't get or is this a different situation Um, or that you shouldn't get? hmm. Is is really any basil? I think if it's at the grocery store, it's good. Of the 120 varieties that we use in culinary preparations around the world, I bet you there's another 120 that we don't use. Maybe they they attract bees so they pollinate. Maybe they do other things. But all all the ones you're going to find at the store. And the farmer's markets probably sell them, and those are the ones that are not treated usually. 
Yeah, that's 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 got to be careful with that. Even if it's a farmer's market, I would say wash everything. Sure. Key okay. number one is All wash right. everything. I heard a, I heard a, an, uh, uh, on the morning rush, I heard a story earlier this week about some uh, tainted basil, tainted cilantro, and maybe parsley. I forgot what they said. But these things had uh, bad stuff on them, had bacterias on them, mm-hmm. bad ones. But that doesn't come from the plant itself. That comes from cross-contaminating. So there were beef juices and maybe chicken juices somehow dripped onto these herbs. So you got to make sure you get it from a reliable source. Always wash, wash, wash everything. Wash it very well because you don't know what's on there. All right, so let's talk more about basil and how you can use it. And what you know, I, I see here you have a list of uh, all kinds of different foods you can make with basil. Yeah, sometimes when I'm sitting at my office at home and thinking about this show, I'm, I'm thinking of just my mind is is going 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to mind is the classic caprese salad. That's tomatoes, fresh, beautiful ripe tomatoes and basil, fresh mozzarella salad. I've Got to tell you, when you pick those tomatoes from your yard, pick the basil from your yard and. Gosh, if you can make fresh mozzarella cheese like we teach at the school, that's about the most beautiful salad in the world. How about lemon basil with shrimp and pasta? You cook whichever pasta you're cooking right before it's finished, maybe two minutes before you add your shrimp to it. That cooks. You strain it all out, put it back in the pot, add some lemon peel, some lemon zest, extra virgin olive oil, maybe capers, maybe some black pepper. In a couple of minutes, you have a great dinner. You know what? And I'm very picky, and I think I've shown that the first two weeks of this show. I've I've admitted that I'm a picky eater. Good. It's a challenge. But this next one that you have is actually something that uh, I I would definitely try. The chicken and stir-fry with basil? Yes. Yeah, and it can be flavored Thai flavors. It can be flavored Chinese, Asian, um, Japanese, any mm. kind of flavor you want. The basil brings a fresh, gardeny flavor to it. The chicken, you dish it up how you like it. Purple basil. I would use some purple ruffle basil in there. I think you might like that. Now you have one with tuna, but we're not talking about the uh, chicken of the sea. We're not talking about the can, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> now this is Chef's fresh. on his toes today. <laughs> this is a fresh, beautiful tuna, a big tuna filet. And you grill that because we're talking about grilling today. I'm thinking it's rare or medium rare inside. And make a basil butter. You just take some butter, soften it up a little bit, chop up your basil real fine, mix it together. You put a little bit of this on top of a hot tuna steak coming out, basil butter as it melts on there, maybe with a tomato salsa or tomato sauce. Doesn't get much better than that. Salmon with basil butter goes well too. Basil pesto, like we talked about. Here's how I like to do pesto. At the school right now, the basil's just almost ready to go into bloom. When a plant like this goes into bloom and makes its flowers, it uh, it has saved all of its energy and potency to make the flower, right, so that it can live forever. You have to pick it before it goes into bloom to get the best flavor from the basil. So next week I'm going to pick all the basil at the school which is way too much basil to have at one time. So we're going to grind it up and make a couple different pestos out of it, a couple different flavors. And at home, I would pour it into little ice cube trays, right? Pop it in the freezer, then pop them out of the tray and put those in little Ziploc bags. Anytime you come home, it's Wednesday night, boil up some linguine, maybe some uh, other kind of pasta, uh, strain it, and then throw in a couple of these ice cubes of the pesto. Boom, you got dinner in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? It stays nice and fresh and green when it's in the freezer. So we've got uh, basil on b- inside ice cubes. Just be sure you don't put them in your, you know, your drink. 
Why not? It wouldn't taste too well. Um, yeah. Give me a challenge. By the next really? commercial break, I'm going to come up with an right. alcoholic beverage that tastes good with basil. All right. We have a few more uh, more ideas here from Chef Pantone. Salmon with uh, basil sauce. Sure. It just goes so great together. Fresh salmon's got that um, uh, omega-3 fatty acids. It's a, such a rich flavor. You put the basil sauce on there. And I would only use extra virgin olive oil, salt, pepper, and the basil. Uh, even some nuts in there maybe too. That would taste fantastic with a little bit of lemon. And in Italy, often they make basil and lemon uh, granita. Granita is like Italian ice, right? It's real crystallized, and they serve it as a dessert. So mm. some water, little tiny bit of sugar, lemon juice, maybe lemon zest, fresh basil, freeze it up. It just dances on your palate when you eat it at the, at the end of the meal, cleanses everything, leaves you with a smile on your face. Uh, classic basil p- pesto. The pesto, yep, that's the one that we're going to uh, pick all the basil and put it in the food processor with the Parmesan cheese and some uh, extra virgin olive oil, maybe pine nuts, traditionally pine nuts. Now, pesto is the word in Italian for paste, and you can make a thousand different flavored pestos. Somehow in this country, we grabbed on to basil pesto, which is pretty amazing, and the word pesto in America now to us means this basil paste. But it can be anything, roasted red peppers, it can be an onion pesto, it can be walnuts, anything you want. But uh, basil as a superfood has endless number of uses. It's just fantastic. Now, you, you, I understand you commonly will, will put the basil in um, like last minute while it's cooking. Thank you very much. Yes, um, a lot of these, especially herbs, they, um, with heat, they lose their potency of flavor and sometimes their nutrients. So you put them at the very last second. When people say, hey, I cook my tomato sauce, I put in lots of basil, I cook it for eight hours. Well, that's very nice. However, it's all gone. All the goodness is gone. Put them at the last second, stir it in. You can also buy dried basil. I hate to say it that way. Darn it, you can buy dried basil. It tastes like, um, what do they feed the cows and horses? Hay. Yeah. Really? Compared to fresh basil, this stuff has some smell and some flavor, but gosh, it's just not the same thing. You might find a good use for it. I haven't found a good use for it yet, but fresh basil is the way to go. All of the herbs are so much better when they're fresh. Now, for storage, you're saying that you can keep it in plastic bags in the refrigerator or you could keep them in the freezer uh, after being blanched. Sure. What is that? What is blanching? Sure. When you have too much basil, like we have at the school right now, and you can't use it all the time, you can pick it, and we're going to dip it in salted boiling water for like three seconds. Right in three seconds, that's going. Blanch means to partially cook. So about three seconds, and then right into ice water. It's going to make it really beautiful red and uh, no, beautiful green in color, and it's going to stop. Well, you're thinking Christmas, red and green. <laughs> it's going to stop the. Um, the decomposing of it. So it, it, it shocks the different uh, nutrients inside of it and stops it from kind of dying and shocks it, and then you put it in the freezer. It will last a long time. Okay. Um, now, you, you gave it up earlier, uh, what we were going to be doing with the, uh, with the basil and with the, with the grilling. We have a little grill in here, and we're really hoping that we don't set off <laughs> any alarms and have the sprinklers go off, and you'll be hearing that right on the radio if it happens. Yeah, I think I signed a permission slip. I can't be held <laughs> responsible for anything um, I do. Uh, we are not pyros here, I assure you, uh, but you're going to go over uh, the ingredients here uh, for the, uh, what are we calling it, the chimichurri sauce? Yeah, I started with the chimichurri sauce, and then I had this all this Latin. basil. Right? Is it a Latin thing? Sure. From South America, mostly Argentina. Argentina is known for its beef and chimichurri. And the chimichurri is 
can be made with any kind of herb. So we're going to use a lot of basil in it today because we have basil. It's beautiful and fresh. And um, it's traditionally made with a lot of cilantro inside of it. So all you do is get your food processor, put in some olive oil, white wine vinegar, almost any kind of vinegar. I like white wine vinegar in this one. A little bit of onion. I'm using basil. And I used uh, Thai, spicy Thai basil for this recipe, A, because I had lots of it, and B, I wanted a little spice action to it. Hmm. Uh, some cilantro, always some garlic, some fresh oregano I had in the garden too, little salt, little black pepper, little red pepper flakes. Brzz, blend it up in the food processor. takes about 20 seconds. There you go. All done. And then you, and then how do you get it? Then you just like rub it all over the steak? That's exactly you what I did. You a skirt steak. I, That's I got the a skinny, and I see it here. We have a thin steak, and get ready to put that on the grill yeah. here as we speak. So. That's uh, and that's that's how you do it. And this is uh, also at chefpantone.com, right? That's it. I saved some. I used some of it as the marinade, so it gets in and flavors the steak. And then I also saved some. That's going to be a sauce. We're going to make little mini tacos with uh, flank steak, not flank steak, uh, skirt steak, and chimichurri sauce and mini tacos. All right, we're going for that. Well, yeah, we're going to get this on the grill, right? Let's so do we're it. Gonna, we're going to do that, and we're going to take a break really quick here on What's Cooking Palm Beach. We're going to get this thing on the grill. It's going to cook for, what did you say, about six minutes or so? I think it's going to be about six minutes. It's yep. a really thin steak, but it's uh, but it looks like there's a, there's very little, if any, fat on it. So there, it's all it's all edible. All the stuff here is... Yeah, there's no yeah. waste, that's for so, sure. So we're going we're gonna to take a break, and we'll come back. That'll be on the grill, and we'll talk about uh, the best ways to grill. You have two different ways. You could do direct or indirect, and uh, Chef's going to give us some more about that. Chef uh, David Pan. Pantone, the dean at Lincoln Culinary Institute in West Palm, uh, chefpantone.com. You can email him, what's cooking at chefpantone.com. We'll be right back after this. Training in skilled trades like HVAC prepares you for careers that build America. Start now at Lincoln College of Technology at their West Palm Beach campus. You can gain technical skills and practical knowledge in refrigeration fundamentals, residential climate control, basic electricity, and more. Visit lincolnedu.com for student consumer information and schedule a campus tour lincoln college of technology for careers that build america visit lincolnedu.com today welcome back to what's cooking palm beach uh here on news radio 1290 wjno and if you uh i, I if you can hear that in the background something is cooking and uh <laughs> chef david pantone the dean at lincoln culinary institute uh is here tell us what that is for folks that are just tuning in yeah that's that's goodness that's just amazingness. How about that's that? a uh, skirt steak with chimichurri uh, sauce on it. Where you could go to chef or chefpantone.com and you can uh, find the uh, uh, ingredients for this. And we were talking about all the things that go into it. And uh, you get you get just that man, sound. How huh? that sound brings smells, a smile. It smells really good. <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be tough getting through this uh, next segment here. But uh, <laughs> so wow, look at that. That's amazing. Hey, we're really cooking no, here in the no studio. No smoke alarms yet. <laughs> No sprinklers. Uh, that really, um, we, do we have to really give too many people samples of that, or could we just share that? I say lock the door. We might we might invite a couple of people in, uh, maybe Sorry. with the small appetite. Sorry, nobody's home. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about since uh, since Chef is doing some grilling. We're gonna talk about the difference in the grilling. Um, maybe you know some of your time off during the holidays. You might be doing some grilling with the in laws and whatnot. Uh, the direct and indirect grilling. So why don't you tell us what the difference is between the two? If you can do that while you're cooking that steak, I think I'm gonna put it. Up. Hey. So I'm direct grilling now. Actually, it's a grill pan. We're not allowed to have real fire in the studio, sure. but we're going to work on that for the next show. And uh, 
So the first thing you need to know is whether you're going to direct grill or indirect grill. And it, it's kind of simple. Grilling is about fire. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good smoke in here, huh? Uh-oh. Grilling is about fire and food. And how you make the two um, dance together, that's, that separates the grill master from the grill novice. So direct grilling is just like it sounds. You have fire on the bottom. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's really nice and smoky in here. I can't wait for the engineers to come running in. <laughs> so you have the fire... Right on, right underneath the food. Okay, and uh, that's usually for small pieces like uh, burgers and chicken, maybe and fish, and uh, quick. You put it right on, and you turn it over, and you take it off. Pretty simple, like that. And now that would would that work for charcoal or gas? That would work for charcoal or gas, and um, right, it's just fire and food. So let's go okay. to the second one, which is a little bit more complicated. That's uh, still direct. But the, um, when there's just fire and food in one temperature, that's called one zone or a single zone. You have heat, whatever it is, hot, meat, high, medium, or low, and you have food on top of it. The second part of that, when you're ready for your next, your elevation, is a, a two or three zone fire. So you set up the coals, and you make it so you have a lot on one side. I'm left-handed, so here's how I do it. I have the hot side on the left. I have the medium-high heat in the middle, and I have the cooler or the safe zone on the right side. If you're right-handed, maybe you do it the other way. So when you build the fire, after the fire's going and the cools are just at the right temperature, you kind of spread them out. You put uh, a lot on the one side, less in the middle, and very few on the other side. So you start your steaks or your burgers on the hot side, okay? You grill them, you turn them upside down, and as you turn them, maybe you move it to medium or to low. So this allows you to have three or even more you want to get really complicated, different areas to keep your food moving around. Some needs to uh, go on a little bit longer. Some needs to be at medium heat. Some needs to be low heat. So you have a single zone, and then you have two or three zones. If you have a butane or propane, you know, your backyard grill, you might be able to fidget about with some of the knobs there and make one side hot or the front really hot and the back cooler. You get it uh, going. The thicker your steak or the thicker your burger the longer it has to cook. If you do that all over high heat, you're probably going to burn it on the outside. Mm-hmm. So you have to turn it, and then you put it onto the medium and maybe even to the low to hold like that. And do you uh, do you have a preference over charcoal or gas? Does it does it really matter? It matters a lot, and it matters to me. And what, taste. It's all about the taste. Right. So the uh, charcoal, uh, I used, like to use, and we're going to talk a little bit more about charcoal later, but a hardwood charcoal and there's one ingredient in it, and it's natural wood. That's it. Once you start, uh, and, and the idea is that it gives a good flavor. You can use any kind of hard woods. Your your um, your oak has a little bit different flavor than the hickory, different than the mesquite. And as you get more and more into it, you'll like to pick and choose your flavor wood to give the food flavor. And you might say, I like my salmon with hickory, but I like my beef products with mesquite. So... Mm. The, the more you do it, the more picky you might get or the more educated you might get on it. So what is indirect grilling? Indirect. Very good. Indirect is for, really, here's my term, low and slow. Indirect is usually for larger pieces of meat that take a longer time to cook. So the food might be on the left side of the grill, but the fire might be on the right side. So it never gets the direct heat from the fire. It turns your, your grill into an oven. And you always, always um, indirect grill with the lid down so you're creating an oven. You might slow cook a shoulder of pork for 18 hours, right? Wow. Can't, can't do that over direct heat. It would be all burned up sure. in just, a, just a little bit. 
Low and what about, slow. What about um, uh, boneless chicken breast? Uh, sometimes that takes longer to cook. Would you do it that way or would you do it over direct? I would do direct, but I might have a high side and a low side. And okay. I would get it nice and seared and turn it over and then put it on the low side. So right. it takes a little bit more time over there. Because it definitely takes longer to make it, you know, a chicken breast versus a, uh, you know, whether bone or not, but, mm. uh, versus a burger. Sure, sure. And how fat is the burger? It's all about how thick the meat is, right? And how long it takes to get warm into the center. So you got your direct and your indirect. Uh, so let's talk about charcoal just for a second. Um, like I said, I prefer lump natural charcoal. The ingredient is wood. Wood gets chopped up. It gets burned until it's uh, all black. You'll be able to recognize it because it's it's got odd shapes to it, like real natural wood chunks as opposed, as to, opposed those, to those briquettes that those, are just exactly the same. Every one looks the same. Yeah, and the key is not to be snobby about the shape or anything. It's what's inside of there. In my, in my natural wood, it's wood from a tree that mm-hmm. God made. In the briquettes, you never know what's inside of there. Often there's leftover wood from the furniture factory. Really? That's Legally, lots of stuff can go inside of there. Wow. There's uh, petroleum types of, uh, you know, oil-based petroleum okay. glues and substances to hold them so they look perfect. Sometimes you can get them with with the initial on top of each one, right? How amazing is that? Or they have a little pattern on them. So it takes other things to make them look like that and to hold like that. The worst ones got to be the ones with the kerosene or the lighter fluid already in there. Right. What, what do those taste Where like you, exactly? I, you know, I, it's been so long, but it's, yeah, they don't, they the, taste like lighter fluid. Yeah, they do. <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, come on, that's not a surprise to anybody. You know that. Um, so if you can go natural wood, that's what I always think is best. Now, honestly, once your coals have burned down, even your briquettes, right? I want to be fair to the briquettes. God bless briquettes. Once they have burned and they're all glowing and amber... All of that nasty stuff that might be inside, that's all gone, and they don't taste quite as bad. So never put your food on the grill before those briquettes have burned down to the right consistency, the right temperature. They should be white on the outside and red glowing on the inside. If you put them on too early, you're going to be eating all of that that unnatural stuff that's inside of there. So don't rush it. Don't rush it. All right, some tips for the the grill, and I I don't hear... hear the steak cooking anymore i turned it down i think it's a little okay. you like yours with i like the, i like medium well which i know is a as a chef you probably don't uh, appreciate because it takes all the flavor out right well here's I what like i have too to much i have to charge you extra that's all see that's oh, how i'll get my it takes longer to <laughs> medium rare costs two dollars well done costs like ten dollars so i have to get my <laughs> satisfaction somewhere but with this steak it's very, very thin on the one side, so it's already well done on that very thin side, and it's still rare on this other side. So I moved it to the cooler side a little bit, and we'll get a little bit more temperature on the inside, and we can eat this thing anytime we're ready. All right. So uh, if you're ready to grill, there are some tips, and uh, Chef's going to go through those for you. Okay, here you go. So we learned about direct and indirect, and we learned about the charcoal. Let's get to it. Okay, first rule, get it hot. Uh, don't go outside and turn on the grill and throw on your chicken and walk away. You need to preheat it, just like in your oven at home. It says preheat to 350 degrees, whatever like that. Preheat your grill. Let it get to about 15 or 25 minutes. Let it resonate. Let all the heat resonate inside of there. Also, it's going to kill any bacteria that might be growing on your grates and anywhere around there That because you didn't clean it so well last time. And uh, that's going to kill everything. You want it to uh, get your heats up at uh, high. It's going to be about 400 to 450. Medium high, about 350 to 400. 
medium about 300 to 350, and you want a low section at about 250 to 300 degrees. You want to make sure it's all nice and hot because as soon as you lay your food on there, you want it to start to sizzle and sear, okay? We used to think that it would seal in the flavors and the juices, and that's just a cool thing to think. It's not true or anything. I mean, we've done laboratory research that nothing really gets sealed in. But the benefit really is by, by the searing part, the nice grill, is as animals, we love that that caramelized flavor of the sugars. The, anybody who eats meats, even grilled vegetables, taste so much better when they're, when they're crispy, they're caramelized, and they get some nice brown flavor. That's the natural sugars in the food caramelizing, and uh, that's what you really want. Next thing, so your grill's nice and hot, you want to brush it off. You take your wire brush and scrape off all that leftover chicken from uh, last time and leftover, and it's all burned up now. So so you want to scrape it off with your wire brush, and uh, you got to clean your wire brush once in a while, too. If that has food scraps in it, that's not so good. It gets all greasy, too. So hot and clean. The next step you want to do is oil up the grill, and often we oil up the food, too. So take a little bit of neutral vegetable oil, maybe canola oil, and um, dip a paper towel in there that's folded up and wadded up into a ball and get your long tongs and kind of go back and forth on the griddle there. That will allow the oil to soak into any pores that might be in your grates. That will help your food from sticking and help promote a nice nice, uh, scoring and a nice searing on that. Safety first. I don't know. The saying is safety first. I like to say it's in the top ten. How about that? Uh, Okay. Officially, it has to be first and foremost. Here's where we really get ourselves and our friends and neighbors sick when we grill. It's not so much on the grill, right? That's really hot. Everything gets killed on the grill. It's when we use the same cutting board and the same utensils for that raw chicken as we do for the grilled vegetables or the same cutting board we cut up our lettuce on after we had the raw chicken or the raw burgers on. That's called cross-contaminations. Uh, that's when a raw food comes in contact with a cook with a uh, a raw food that's not going to be cooked any further with the juices from the chicken or the beef or something that might be contaminated. Now, the the chicken and the beef is going to be cooked, so that's all good, but you don't want to mix the, the raw food that's going to be cooked with the raw food that's not going to be cooked. Last thing you want to do is get your friends and neighbors sick. They will never forgive you. And they'll never be over again. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, so just briefly, uh, marinate your meat. You want to you want to do that to give it some extra some extra flavor. Is that the the point of that, or making it uh, tender? Yeah, a little bit of each. Um, okay. The flavor will will um, go to maybe a quarter of an inch deep, so it won't go deep inside of the steak. Uh, if there's an acid in your marinade, it will also tenderize it a little bit. You don't want to have it too tender, or else it turns into mush. And there's research out there that's uh, telling us from the American Institute of Cancer that the marinating. Uh, can reduce the formation of some carcinogens that come through the the whole fire and the cooking process between 92 and 99 percent. I think they're still doing some more research on mm. that, and uh, that sounds pretty awesome. All right, and there's something called a chimney starter. I've never heard of that. Yeah, the chimney starter is cool. It's like a little tin can with an open bottom and the top, and it's got a big handle on it. You put your charcoal inside the chimney. First, you crumple up a little piece of newspaper on the bottom. You put the charcoal on top of that, and you just light the newspaper underneath, and it holds the heat in and burns the charcoal all like at the same time. And then when you're ready to grill, you just lift up the chimney, and the charcoal is all in the right place. You spread it out a little bit. Where in the old days, we used to 
uh, make a perfect pyramid out of the charcoal and you have to handle it and get dirty and everything. This way is much better and no lighter fluid required, right? That's the big mm. key. I don't want to eat that lighter fluid. That's bad stuff. What is the hand test? The hand test is to know how hot your grill is, right? You want to have some high and some medium and some low like we talked about. If you don't have an infrared thermometer that will shine on there, you put your hand over it. And uh, if you you put your hand over the fire, about five inches above the grate. And if you can keep your hand there for about two seconds, that means it's high. If you can keep it there for about five seconds, it's medium. And about 10 seconds will be low. Okay, that's kind of the old-fashioned way of seeing if it's high, medium, or low. What happens sometimes when you're grilling is the fat drips down into the charcoal, right? We know that. And those cool flames shoot up. It's like awesome. Uh, but it makes your food taste really bad. It gets all sooty. So you need to be able to tame your flames from the flare-ups. So have a little spritzer water bottle next to you. Whenever the flames start coming up, spray them down. Control the flames. Really important. Uh, I think young guys don't like the water bottle because they like the flames more. And as you get a little older and as you get a little more mature and you want your food to taste good and it's not about the fire anymore, you want to tame those flames. Most important... When you're done cooking everything, take it off the fire, put it onto its serving platter, maybe a little piece of loosely covered foil on top of it. Let it rest for a little bit, five, ten minutes maybe. So that way all of the juices that the heat forced into the middle of the steak or in the middle of the chicken have a time to relax a little bit and come out and uh, equilibrate, it's called. And uh, so give your food a little rest at the end. Give it a rest. Give it a rest. How about that? Okay. Now you have uh you have uh, a recipe here for the grilled spice crusted steak and uh, just uh, uh for time purposes we want to get get on to the, some more of the show we well really more importantly we want to get on to <laughs> yeah, eating this do. thing and we got to take a break but uh just give us some of the ingredients of this so again this is uh this is called grilled spice crusted steak and that's not what we're getting ready to have. That's, that's not. Chimichurri uh, steak is getting what we're getting ready to eat. This one is crazy. I was the uh, corporate chef for Florida Crystals for a little bit. Really, I wrote all the recipes for the websites and everything. So I worked with all of their natural sugars, organic sugars, and I came up with dozens of recipes. This is one of my favorites. I put a, uh, a dry rub. When you make a dry rub, it's going to be salt, pepper. It's all dried spices, and you rub it into your meat. So this one's got black pepper, white pepper, red pepper, coriander, salt, garlic, granulated garlic, and all those spicy things, and then I wanted the sugar to act as a balance. I wanted the flavor of the peppers, but not so hot. So I add some of the organic sugar in there, and it balanced out all the flavor. It took out really the sharp high tones to it and and smoothed it out a little bit, and it helped to make a crust on it. So this is one of my favorite recipes I ever came up with. You grill this thing. It's a little crusty from the spices, and the sugar caramelizes, and uh, it just has amazing flavor. You can put this on pork. You can put it on beef. You can put it on fish if you wanted to. Really, really simple. And you'll find that whole recipe with all of the uh, ingredients right at chefpantone.com. And, uh, of course, you can always email him, what's cooking at chefpantone.com. We have an email. We're going to get to that right after this on what's cooking Palm Beach. And, more importantly, we're going to get to eating this steak. Yes. If that sound gets your motor running, it's time for a career with a little extra horsepower. Lincoln College of Technology is now enrolling for hands-on automotive technology training. Learn the skills that can help you launch an automotive career today. Visit LincolnEDU.com. 
Welcome back to What's Cooking Palm Beach here on News Radio 1290 WJNO. I'm Joel Malkin here with the food dude, Chef David Pantone, the dean at Lincoln Culinary Institute. Uh, and we have, uh, we have a steak here. We're getting ready to eat. What are we calling it? The, uh, the, the chimichurri? Sure. This is a uh, skirt steak with the chimichurri sauce, and okay. it's a, we've turned them into mini tacos. Now, we, we brought uh, Marissa and Julia into the uh, studio. They, they uh, couldn't help but smell the odor <laughs> lingering, and we didn't set off any alarms, so that's a good thing. Not um, yet. And, you, yeah, you have some soft taco shells uh, uh, thanks to the folks over at Duffy's. Love my friends at Duffy's, and I love their, their tacos. They have those mini tacos. I order them all the time. My kids make fun of me. Why do you order the same thing all the time? Because I love them. Now, ladies, do you order steaks very often when you go out? Depends who's paying for the meal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good answer. Are we ready to eat it? I'm, have, I'm ready. Right, let's, let's go. See here. My goodness. Fresh basil. Mm-hmm. The freshness comes out. It's delicious. I used a spicy Thai basil. It's a beautiful, a tiny little leaf, and I happen to have it at the school. And here's the thing. If you're concerned because maybe you're not into spicy foods, it really doesn't add that much. I thought it was going to be like a real spicy um, a spicy steak, and it's really not. It's just a very a very mild spice. Right, right, right. Uh, but this is mixed with olive oil. This is, has onions in it, garlic in it, and salt and pepper, and a little bit of cilantro and oregano also. But the feature is going to be the, the basil. And uh, that came out really nice. Now, the skirt steak is not an inexpensive piece of meat. This was um, eight ninety nine a pound, so it's not like we used something bad and Chapito made something wonderful out of it. I used all wonderful ingredients and made something wonderful out of it, so not so much credit to me, but credit to the farmers. Something you guys would make? Yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, we appreciate uh, Marissa and Julia coming in. I know it was tough for you guys to come <laughs> in and eat, some, and eat some steak. Well, we do have an email from a listener, Chef. It's from Albert, who lives in Pittsburgh. He says he heard the show on iHeartRadio. He says, hey, Chef Pantone, how do you make corn on the grill? So here's the big deal with corn, right? First and foremost, the best corn in the world is local corn. So wherever you live, that's where you want to get your corn from. So when you hear, oh, you should buy this corn from California or this corn came baloney, it has to be local because fresh, 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 fresh is what, what's the matter. Albert, you want to get corn that's picked that morning if you can. So either you go to the farm, you go to the green market, you go to somewhere. If it's shipped from a different state, it's probably two weeks old already. With all of the vegetables, especially the sweet ones like corn, every day from the day they're picked, their sugars, the natural sugars, start to turn into starch. After a couple of days, they might be 50% as sweet as they were on the first day. After a couple of weeks, they usually stop deteriorating after about 15 days and you're at about 20 or to 30 percent of the sugar content still left the rest is turned to starch so it's got to be fresh that's it fresh 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 um, if you can don't refrigerate it when the corn gets refrigerated changes the flavor completely so here's me i'm, I'm setting a tall task for you albert it's got to be fresh and it's got to be right from the farmer unrefrigerated next i want you to peel back the husk okay a lot of people like to Put it on the grill in the husk. That's not grilled corn. That's steamed corn, right? The moisture steams it inside of there. And that's not terrible. I'm not saying it's terrible. But if you want grilled roasted corn, it needs direct contact uh, with the heat. So peel back the husk. Maybe take a piece of husk and tie it around to make like a handle. And a little bit of butter on there. Not too much. You put too much butter on there, right? It drips into the fire, makes those flare-ups, and makes a sooty flavor and put soot on your corn. Soot no bueno, okay? No sooty corn. So very little butter or oil on there, a little bit of salt. 
Turn it, turn it, turn it. Keep an eye on it. Make sure that it gets a nice golden brown and not black, right? You want to turn it so it's brown all the way around. And uh, you can put a little bit more butter on as you go, but no flare-ups. And if you need to, you put a little more butter and seasonings on when you're finished. It will taste amazing. That's what roasted corn is supposed to taste like. So definitely no husk involved. Here's what I want you to do, though. Now that you've mastered that, I want you to change some flavor profiles. You can make it taste Italian style if you like. You can make it taste Japanese style if you use sesame oil. Little bit of sesame oil as you turn it, that would taste amazing. Mexican style, uh, you can you can put some um, grated cheese on it, some mayonnaise even on it. Chili powder for Mexican style. My personal favorite is lime juice. Butter and lime juice, maybe a little lime zest. You mix those together and use that as the base. I don't know why. It just tastes amazing. That's my favorite one today. Can't tell you what my favorite one's going to be tomorrow. So Albert Fresh Corn, well roasted and seasoned. Go to the website. I have a couple varieties for you. Going to love it. Chefpantone.com. All right, we're going to come right back because we have some events going on around town, many of them involving what else? Food. <laughs> You're at What's Cooking Palm Beach. Get on your way to a new healthcare career with Lincoln College of Technology. Earn your associate's degree in nursing at their West Palm Beach campus. Learn the skills healthcare employers are looking for and prepare for a new career where you'll have a direct impact on patient care. Their industry contacts can help you launch a new career after graduation. Visit LincolnEDU.com today for student consumer information and to schedule a campus tour. LincolnEDU.com, student-centered training for careers that build America. Welcome back to What's Cooking Palm Beach with Chef Pantone, uh, the dean at uh, Lincoln Culinary Institute. Uh, and really quick, we're running out of time. We want to give you some uh, food events going on around town. Uh, what's going on? Every Saturday and Sunday, you know, we have amazing green markets, farmers markets. Even everything. on even on Christmas weekend, like this, we just had Christmas a couple of days ago, and they're still going on, right? Heck yeah! Because there's okay. fresh produce that needs to be sold. It doesn't take a holiday. Here's some of my fra- favorites. It's the food truck invasions. You know, Chef Pantone likes them some food trucks. So you got all these food trucks. They go into the big parks and the parking lots. And the Wellington one happens every Thursday. And then you have the second Friday is the one that happens in Abacoa, second Friday of every month. Um, well, did you have a great uh, Christmas? Oh, fantastic. You know, my boys are all home. Two are, are still at University of Florida, so they came home for Christmas. My other son recently moved here from University of Florida. It's beautiful to have family together. And lots of food involved, I'm sure. Lots of food. Lots of cooking. <laughs> Lots of food. Well, because your wife, your wife cooks as well. We met at culinary school, right? right and right. so she's a well, chef too. Well, I hope you guys had a, a great Christmas, and uh, you know, tell tell the wife and family I said uh, happy holidays as well. Fantastic, your family too. All right. Well, thanks for joining us in the What's Cooking Kitchen. Uh, join us next time when the chef's daily special will be craft beer, artisan. All these artisans making different kinds of beer now local. I think it's going to be great. What's Cooking Palm Beach, the premier radio show about all things food in South Florida. Check it out again this very time next Saturday here on WJNO. Thank you very much. You've been listening to What's Cooking Palm Beach with Chef David Pantone, Dean of the Lincoln Culinary Institute in West Palm Beach. Tune in and find out what's cooking Saturdays from 1 till 2 p.m. on News Radio 1290 WJNO. If you have any questions or ideas on a topic, please email what's cooking at chefpantone.com. That's P A N T O N E.com. What's Cooking Palm Beach, sponsored by Lincoln Culinary Institute, a division of Lincoln College of Technology.